can ever know about God is what he chooses to reveal to us. He has revealed himself very generally, creation, our consciences, but very specifically through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. So where's the evidence for that? How do you know the Bible is true? How do you know that all this happened? You know what? I can't. I cannot provide the evidence that you want before you make a decision. The whole world says, show me God that you exist and I'll believe it. And he says, no, believe me and I'll prove it to you. If the people who witnessed Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead concluded that he was a threat to society and needed to be put to death, what good would indisputable evidence of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection do to convince people that he was God come to earth who forever lives and makes intercession for his people before the throne of God the Father? So in answer one more time to the question that was asked at the very beginning of this series in Hebrews, why do we believe? Just because we do. That's why we believe. You could say, no, I investigated carefully and I, yes, that's true. You did. An equal or greater number of people investigated and rejected. We believe because God caused us to believe. The gift of faith that we have is just as much as the gift of eternal life. I'm going to talk about all of that today. And don't read too much into that and start saying, well, wait a minute. What are you saying? We don't know how it all works. God says it works this way and it works this way. And in our finite minds, sometimes we want to say, no, wait a minute. Is that, how can that? Believe the word and believe that God is bigger than you are. And believe as he tells us. In this text, life is a shadow of the real thing that awaits us in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that this is all uh, some sort of a a dualistic material. It's not really real. It's when we get there. Next week, we're going to talk about the very human body that Jesus had. But as far as what is important, what matters, what counts in our relationship with God, we live in the shadows, the reality which is the new heavens and the new earth is to come. That's not to say, again, that this existence is somehow not quite real, but rather, the author is making the point that all forms that pointed to the Jesus, such as the law, were only that. All of the instances that happened in the Old Testament, that you said, hey, that kind of reminds me. Yeah, it was all pointing to Jesus Jesus' sacrifice for sins was the reality that was necessary for sin to finally, to be finally and fully forgiven, which in turn makes life with God for eternity a reality that is to be embraced by faith. It always comes back to faith. We're heading towards Hebrews 11, the the great chapter on faith. But this is all the foundation being laid for that. Uh, great teaching on faith. It always comes back to faith, to believing God's word. So since we're nearly a month out of looking at the text, Hebrews uh, going through uh, in the ways that we have, the patterns that we have, uh, I want to remind you of the structure uh, (coughs) 
that is being used for Hebrews 7 through 10. And again, thank you, David, for doing an outstanding job of reviewing all that that we had and bringing uh, those lessons from Hebrews into our living room, our church living room, reminding us that this service is like a covenant renewal. Every time we come here, it's like we're saying, yes, God, I believe this and I believe you and we thank you for your goodness. This morning, we're going to return to the text in Hebrews 9, 23 through 10, 4. With the author of this letter slash sermon presenting the same truth in multiple ways, in Hebrews 7 to 10. Um, it behooves us to think about the themes that he lays out in these chapters. So, here are the themes that we have covered and that we will cover in the coming weeks. Uh, law and gospel. Um, two covenants, old and new. Law and gospel is all over scripture. Not just this is the old, this is the new. Law and gospel all over the New Testament. We relate to God in one of those two ways. There were two covenants, old and new. There were more covenants in Scripture that we've already thought about. But primarily old and New Testament, old covenant, new covenant. It's all new with Jesus. Last week or three weeks ago we talked about the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing but the blood of Jesus and how important that is today. It's shadows and substance. And then next week, the perfect divine human sacrifice. Before the throne of God above, the community of faith and how important it is that we do this together and not individually. And then warning and waiting. Another one of those passages in Hebrews that talks about warning. But, and the answer to it is waiting, which is just another way of saying trust or believe. So... Let's get to the text. Hebrews 9, 23 through, verses, uh, uh, through 10, verse 4 uh, in our uh, text for the day. So if you would please stand for the reading of the word. And I will get uh, settled and somehow in, I'm discombobulated this morning. So that'll, you can pray extra and then hopefully us will all come together. And remember as we read through this text, just think about... All that you have learned so far from the book of Hebrews about how this all works together and how he is saying in so many different ways, Jesus' sacrifice is greater than all of the sacrifices of the old covenant where the priest would come to the, to the tabernacle and sacrifice the animals. Now Jesus has put an end to it for, for all time. So verse 23, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things... The tabernacle, all the uh, instruments in the tabernacle, all the sacrifices. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these. Good gracious, I can't read up there anymore. These rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, not into the holy of holy of the tabernacles, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with his with blood, not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, 
having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. A reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sin. Thank you for this study in Hebrews that reminds us what that means. It's not just words that we say or not just some nebulous thought that we have about it, but we recognize the extent and the damage that sin has done to us. And we also are grateful for the blood of Christ spilled, Lord, instead of our own condemnation, poured out that we might have life. Thank you for this great exchange, Jesus. Our sin for your righteousness. Now as we come to this word today and and we think about Shadows and substance, I pray that that which is more real than anything we've ever seen would grow in our hearts and minds and eyes. Draw us to yourself, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, in our text today, as it has been for several uh, sessions and then also next week, the author continues to teach about the contrast between the Levitical priesthood uh, sacrificial system and Jesus' perfect sacrifice that, that permanently cleansed the consciences of those that believe that Jesus died for them. The author is in no way saying that, you know, God had this design, the law, and it was all right, but it, it really didn't do the job that he was thinking it was going to do, so we brought in Jesus to, to make it up. no. This was God's plan all along. But there's no way we understand our need for Jesus until we see God's perfect holy law and how incapable we are of measuring up to that standard. And the writer is now saying, listen, Jesus, the law was pointing to Jesus all along just like a shadow is always pointing to something. You'll remember from Hebrews 9, 1 to 22, the author talked about the necessity of blood cleansing the places that God had designed for men and women to meet with Him. First in the tabernacle, then in the temple. All things are purified by the blood. In that case, the blood of animals. In verses 23 and 24, the writer continues his contrast of presentation of blood in an earthly context and the presentation of Jesus' perfect sacrifice before the very throne of God the Father. And this presentation is almost certainly symbolic. It's not that Jesus carried his blood into the, <clears throat> into the throne room, but when he died on Calvary and the temple, the, the curtain of the temple was split in two, all of this was going on. 
all of this, the sacrifice was being offered and accepted by the Father. Even so, this heavenly scene is more real than anything we know. And, and, and the earthly structures serve as the function of pointing to God's holiness, our sin, and the gulf between us because of that sin. The differences between the offering of sacrificial blood that the, that the high priest took into the Holy Holies on the Day of Atonement and Jesus' perfect, perfect sacrifice for sin on Calvary is as different as a shadow is from the thing that casts the shadow. It is that different. The Day of Atonement was for the Israelites, as we read, a reminder of sin. It's not like, oh great, here's the day when our sins are cleansed and we're forever forgiven. No, it's a reminder that year after year, (coughs) you have to come back. And if you don't do things just right, you're in big trouble. The precarious position that the Israelites sin had placed them before a holy God was ever before them. And the blood on the mercy seat was a temporary covering. Not a removal, but a covering. So, no doubt the people were motivated to try to do better, constantly saying, oh, I just better be better, I better be better, because this is only a temporary covering. See, here's our problem with shadows. We try to make more out of them than is possible to make. I mean, Just think about all the shadows you've seen in your life. When you're a kid in the room and there are shadows on the wall, you know, they can look pretty scary. Or you might see certain shadows just like looking at clouds. You see all kinds of images. Some are, are nice, some are not nice at all. A shadow is, after all, only a shadow. But it is surprisingly easy for people to get wrapped up and enamored of shadows rather than substance. Religion often causes people to focus on the form rather than what is represented by the form. Now, don't misunderstand me. James talks about religion that is pure, religion that is true, is this. But what happens is we develop or God gives us these forms to point to him, but we get so wrapped up in the forms that we forget about the one who designed them to point to himself. That's what happened to the religious leaders of uh, of Jesus' day. The Pharisees were all about rules. And the Sadducees were all about temple life and about politics and making sure that everything was good between them and Rome. And that Rome was paying attention to them where they needed to, but that we're not rocking the boat too much. All about form. Here's one of the reasons that religion... And religious shadows can be so appealing. When you are are accountable to a shadow, you're really accountable to yourself. Because a shadow is going to only have so much say in your life. And so I'm going to have to figure this out myself. You don't worry about... You don't worry about what it is the form is pointing to. You just start all of a sudden focusing on the shadow. Somehow you think that the blood of bulls and goats are indeed going to take away sin. And in fact, it's not that sin that is in question, but rather my ability to perform up to the standard. 
Look, nobody can keep God's laws perfectly, so let's set a set of rules. And let's just say, if you do this, this, and this, and you don't do this and this, then you're okay. What about this? Oh, yeah, well, wait a minute, I thought about that. And so now we're changing, constantly changing the form to suit ourselves. (laughs) Manipulating the shadows. As long as I follow the rules and bring the sacrifice at the appropriate time, or as long as I'm a good person, <clears throat> I give to the, per- uh, to, to, to the right causes, I don't murder anybody, I don't cheat on my spouse, I don't cheat on my taxes. I don't... Well, okay, maybe, you know, cheating on your taxes is not the same thing as cheating on you. You see what I've done, right? I've just started shaping and, and molding this thing to fit my own purposes. It just seems better for me to deal with the shadow than with God himself. In my early years as a believer, I found, found myself immersed in a Christian culture that was enamored of form. Please understand, I, the, the Lord led me. I was saved <clears throat> as a hippie, as much as you can be a hippie and live at home. In, the, in, the, in 1972, just a month before I got out of high school, um, and Jim and Joy Acock, remember that long hair and all of the stuff that went, all the trappings that went with it, all of the philosophy, all of it. And then the Lord, just in May I'm saved, and then in June I find myself at Teen Valley because one of the board members had worked it out for me to go up there, and the director says, I said, yeah, he told us we could be counselors. And he's, the director says, so how long have you been a Christian? I said, month and a half. He said, you, you can be on the work staff this summer. And I'm like, what? He said, work staff. So I was on work staff. Then I went to Tennessee Temple. And when I drove onto the campus in Chattanooga, Tennessee, honestly, I felt like I was driving back in time 30 years. I mean, girls had, women had dresses to hear, you know, guys had hair to hear. I mean, it was hardly, and I remember I'd had hair to hear, and so, but it was exactly what I needed. Now, I'm telling you, you didn't mess around with the rules at Tennessee Temple. You were in more trouble if you messed with the rules at Tennessee Temple than if you missed a downhill putt at Augusta on today, Sunday of the Masters. I mean, you're in big trouble. That thing is going to keep on going until you're in the water. It's not surprising, though, because of that place that I was in, that I heard Hebrews 9.27 quite a bit. By the way, before I go there, let me just say this. I am so grateful for the way that the Lord led me. So much of what I know is because of what I learned there. It was very broad education that I got with the Bible. I knew a lot, of, a little bit about a whole lot of things. And the Lord has filled all of those in over the years and shifted and adjusted some as I go. But I'm grateful for that time. And those were believers who loved the Lord. But, but it's just so easy when you get caught up on rules to, to, to start focusing on shadows Rather than substance. So I heard, I can't tell you how many times I've heard Hebrews 9.27. Whether in a, a, a 
sermon or just in individual conversation with people. It is appointed for man once to die and after this, the judgment. That's a good thing for us to understand. We need to know it and need to share it with people who think that this life is all there is or that, okay, there is another life, but everything's going to be great for everybody. And, and I'm just going to enjoy this life that I have now, living in the shadows. And really, that's kind of the shadows. This is the substance. This is what counts. But that's the shadows in those days. I'll deal with that when I come to it. So it's good to know that. That there is this life and then there's judgment. That's what God tells us in his word. But I never heard verse 27 in its greater context. Never Not once in my, I can't even remember how many years as a Christian. 45 now almost. I can never remember it being in a greater context, especially not with verse 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. In the midst of all the warnings of Hebrews, the author says that when Jesus comes, yes, it will indeed be for judgment. But for those of you who believe, it's salvation. It's final salvation. You're eagerly waiting for him. I hope that's true of us, that we're eagerly waiting for the Lord's return. And and you're going to be rewarded When you see him, everything that has been in doubt will all of a sudden be fully clear. You remember just a few weeks ago from 1 Peter how Jesus' salvation was described in future terms rather than past or present. There's so much of that in scripture. Future term salvation and the writer of Hebrews is going to talk about that a lot more which is why our eyes are to be there rather than here. And the more they're there the more we recognize these are the shadows, that's the substance. That's what matters. And when we realize that's the substance, it makes a difference in how we live in the shadowlands. In Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 4, the author speaks of those shadows and substance. The law was a shadow, the gospel is a reality. The shadow of the law could never relieve guilt and cleanse sin. If you're just doing your best and hoping that everything will be okay when you stand before the God, before God, it won't be. Because the reality is that rituals can never take away sin. You must put your full trust and faith in what Jesus did on the cross for you and acknowledge that you are the sinner that God says you are. I... I, I I don't know. I, you know, when you walk in light, it's easy to say, you people in darkness, what is wrong with you? We forget that we used to walk in darkness, you know. Or that maybe you were saved when you were young, and so this is all you've ever known. But when you walk in light, it's easy to forget what it was like to be in the darkness. And so when you're in the light, it's like, why does that offend you that, that, that the Scripture says all are sinners? And we're enemies of God apart from our relationship with Jesus. But it does. It's very offensive. Until you acknowledge that you are a sinner. In the the nature, in the manner that God says you are. And you say, oh, my only hope is Jesus 
perfect sacrifice offered for my sins. I believe that and I throw all of my hope on Him. Fully believe in Him. Only then will your guilt be relieved and your sin cleansed. Now, some people say, I'm not feeling guilty. And the shadows do that to us. They deceive us. A lot of times shadows aren't really exactly what they seem to be, right? When you live in the shadows, sometimes you, you, get, you get a distorted uh, perception of, of reality. And when you live in the shadows and you're, you're manipulating the law to work for you, you're like, hey, I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Certainly not like that guy down there. I'm going to be okay. So, which is it? Shadows or substance? Which do you prefer? Now, I'm going to tell you, and I think you're going to know the answer to this. If Allison and I are on a beach late in the afternoon, summer day, and, you know, shadows are long, and I just feel this impulse to go and hug my wife, you think I'm going for her or for the shadow? Exactly. So what application might we take from this text? Three thoughts beginning with this. Cultivate the gift of faith that God has given you. Now you may say, hey, that's redundant. I hope you will consider this a reminder, a double reminder. That even our faith is a gift from God. Aren't we the ones who choose to exercise faith? Faith, Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We do. We choose. God gives us a choice and we choose. And then he tells us that we wouldn't choose if he didn't give us that gift of faith. The only with the understanding that we don't know God apart from the gift of faith can we begin to move towards the substance. And if it's a gift then, how do we cultivate it? Well, just like if somebody said, I'm going to plant a garden for you. Here's the difference. The gardener, in our case, doesn't walk away and say, now you're on your own. He's constantly reminding us how to do this. He's helping us. He's guiding our hands. His thoughts are constantly leading us to to know how to cultivate these these plants and the vegetables that we have planted, the, the, the the fruits and the trees, all of that we know because of his guidance and his continual help. So how does faith grow? Doesn't it just grow up? If, if, if God is the author of it, if God is the one who's doing it, doesn't he just cause it to grow? Well, if you're in home group this week, you're going to consider a number of ways to cultivate this. You can't let a garden alone any more than you can let your faith alone. You've got to cultivate it, this beautiful gift that God has given you. And when you get, come together in home group, you're going to think about the ways to cultivate this gift of faith so that as your faith grows, you move from shadows to substance. Why do we believe? Because God caused us to believe. Why do we withstand all of the stuff that happens to us in this life? Because God has given us the faith to do it. 
No longer is the time when you begin to cultivate that faith, when, when God begins to grow your faith. No longer is the time that we have on the first Sunday of every month at the Lord's table. Just something that we do, just a ritual that's to be performed, or even just something that is remembering Him. But we begin to, as 1 Corinthians 10 tells us, participate in the body and the blood of Christ. Our union with the Lord is so enhanced by faith. One of the differences in the ways that people believe is that many people believe that if you just do the things that God says to do, like take communion, be baptized, um, give to the Lord, do all of those things, then you are okay then those are the things that God requires of you. All of that is meaningless apart from faith. And faith doesn't occur apart from the word of God. Our faith does not grow untethered from scripture. We are inextricably linked. Our faith is inextricably linked with the the word of God. And furthermore, our faith grows in community. So just to take a a brief look at Ephesians 5 will help us to see how all of that works. Ephesians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not, not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Contrast there, don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Things that David talked about last week. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Are you ever more aware of the reality of God's existence and presence in your life than when you are filled with the Spirit of God? Notice that we are told to be filled with the Spirit. The Greek verb is in the present tense, which means it's an ongoing activity. When somebody says, have you ever been filled with the Spirit, brother or sister, as the case may be? Have you ever been filled with the Spirit? That's an ongoing reality. You can say, yes, I have. And I, I will be as time goes on. It's in, in the present tense, but it's also in the passive voice, which is, means it is something that happens to us, not something that we manufacture. Now, wait just a minute. Can't I just pray for the Lord to fill me with His Spirit and confess my sin and that happens? Well, yes, that's all part of the process. But God is the one who's doing that and he's got a method for for doing it. Look at the break between verses 18 and 19. Oh, wait a minute. There is no break between verses 18 and 19. And in fact, there's hardly any break at all from verse 18 all the way through 21. Here's Here's how we are filled with the Spirit. The Word of God. It's almost as if you could say the word-filled life is the spirit-filled life. Now that can be abused. The Pharisees are are perfect examples of that. When you start worrying about form rather than the reality, when you worry about shadows rather than substance, you're going to make the word of God work for you. But when you understand how spirit and word 
are nearly inseparable in the ways that God works with his people. You see them, the under, you begin to understand how he says this. I've, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We address one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all Scripture. All music that points us to Scripture, either directly or indirectly, it's talking about a truth that Scripture presents. And so as that is happening, the Lord is filling us with His Spirit, and we do this in community, not one-on-one. So much of Spirit-filled living today is done by me going to God and saying, Oh, Lord, Fill me with your spirit and then all of a sudden I have victory over all these sins. And while that is a great thing and every one of us needs that. Anytime the spirit fills you, it is so that you can benefit the body. You can be a benefit to the body. You serve others and you submit to one another. It's not to establish who's more holy than somebody else is. It's all a part of God's design for his covenant family. Spirit-filled living also leads to praise, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father. Look at the beautiful trinity that's established in those verses. And praise leads us to our second point of application. Look, if you want to cultivate your faith, begin to thank God often. For the gospel. When you recognize the difference between the Levitical priesthood sacrifice and Jesus' sacrifice once and for all, how his blood cleanses you, you, even your conscience from sin, how can you not praise him? Well, how is it actually that we don't praise him? Because we're so easily distracted by the shadows. When our eyes drift from the reality of Jesus to the shadows, of our existence here, albeit with all the trappings of Jesus and the life in Jesus, we begin to focus on this broken world and our broken lives. And rather than, oh, thank you, Father, for the salvation that I have and for the hope that I have, they tell me I've only got (coughs) four months to live, but I am so grateful I will live forever because of Jesus' sacrifice. Instead of that, we say, oh, Oh, life is so hard. These shadows are so difficult. Just think of the difference in your physical as well as emotional life. Even your physical life when you have a grateful heart. Remember Ephesians 5, we're commanded to thank God always and for everything. And I do not in any way mean to... Diminish the, 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 the difficulty and the gravity of something that some of you go through. But this is what we need to hear. We need to hear, God, I thank you for the salvation that I have. This other stuff is so hard, but I thank you that I have life in Jesus. Is it possible to give thanks to God always and for everything? It is, but not by accident. 
It won't happen that way. Give thanks and last, visualize the day that you will stand before Jesus. You ever do that? You ever, you ever closed your eyes and just imagine Jesus' second coming? And then the day that you will stand before him to give an account of your life. Our text that we've just read makes it clear that when Jesus returns in judgment, he gathers his people to himself for the final salvation that is theirs in Christ. There will be, though, as you will discuss in home group this week, an account that must be given by believers for the works that they have done, whether good or evil. We will be with Jesus for eternity, but our rewards will be based on how we lived and whether we lived in the shadows, focusing on the shadows or focusing on the substance. And essentially, while it does boil down to good works or bad works, that's going to be determined by the faith that we exhibit and believing God. And believing his word. And believing when he says this is who you are in Jesus. You don't have to sin because you belong to him. This is who you are in Jesus. When you're tired serving other people. This is who you are in Jesus. Putting up with all the different personalities. Some of which drive you out of your mind. But loving them. Just like Jesus loves you. Later in Hebrews 10, the author will encourage believers to stir up one another to love and good works as they draw near to the Lord's presence with true hearts and full assurance of faith made possible through Jesus' blood. Thank God for the multiple ways he uses to build our faith and to turn our eyes from the shadows to the substance, to the reality of Jesus and eternal life with him. Let's pray. C.S. Lewis said that the Christian faith allows us to see things as they really are. (laughs) Do you remember those of you who trusted Jesus at a much later age than many here? Do you remember how it was all of a sudden like going from a fuzzy black and white television to ultra high def? color, brilliant colors, brilliant pictures. All of a sudden, everything was clear. Simply because you believed. We've talked over and over in Hebrews how God is a God of patterns. And although we are saved one time, I believe that. When we believe, when we employ the faith through God's help, through His Spirit, and we are filled with the Spirit. Once again, it's like we see things new. Lord, renew our hearts. Open our eyes. May we see Jesus. And may we recognize the access that we have to you on the basis of Jesus' sacrifice. Do for us, Lord, what we have no idea of doing in these shadows that we live in. Open our eyes. Help us to see the reality that has made such a difference in our lives. 
May we live it at such a level that others cannot help but see. Maybe, maybe what I see all around me is not what I need to be focusing on. May many come to Jesus. Thank you for bringing us to him. In his name we pray. Amen. As you remain standing and receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and bring you peace. And all of God's people said,